The Two Dogs A Tale By Robert Burns It was in that place of Scotland's Isle That bears the name of Old King Coyle Upon a lovely day in June When wearing through the afternoon Two dogs that were not busy at home Chance met once upon a time The first Isle name, they called him Caesar Was kept for his honor's pleasure his hair, his size, his mouth, his ears, showed he was none of Scotland's dogs, but bred some place far abroad, where sailors go to fish for cod. His locked, lettered, lovely brass collar showed him the gentleman and scholar, but although he was of high degree, the fiend of pride, no pride had he, but would have spent an hour caressing, even with a tinker gypsy's mongrel at church or market, mill or smithy. No matted cur, though ever so ragged. But he would have stood, as glad to see him. And pissed on stones and hillocks with him. The other was a plowman's collie. A rhyming, ranting, raving rollicking young friend. Who for his friend and comrade had him. And in his youth had Luth named him. After some dog in Highland song was made long past Lord knows how long. He was a wise and faithful cur, as ever leaped a ditch or stone fence. His honest, pleasant, white-streaked face always got him friends in every place. His breast was white, his shaggy back, well-clad will coat of glossy black. His joyous tail, with upward curl, hung over his buttocks with a swirl. No doubt but they were glad of each other. And very confidential and thick together. With social nose sometimes sniffed and pride. Sometimes mice and moles the dug. Sometimes raced away in long excursion. And worried each other in diversion. Till tired at last with many a farce. They sat them down upon their arse, buttocks. And there began a long digression. About the lords of the creation. Caesar. I have often wondered, honest Lewith, what sort of life poor dogs like you have, and when the gentry's life I saw, what way poor bodies lived at all. Our laird gets in his racked rents, his coals, his rents in kind, and all his dues. He rises when he likes himself. His flunkies answer at the bell. He calls for his coach. He calls for his horse. He draws a lovely silken purse, as long as my tail, where, through the stitches, the yellow, golden, lettered guinea peeps. From morning to evening it is nothing but toiling at baking, roasting, frying, boiling, and though the gentry first are cramming, yet even the hall folk fill their stomach with sauce, ragouts, and such like trash, that's little short of downright waste. Our whipper in, small, blasted wonder, poor, worthless elf, it eats a dinner, better than any tenant man, tenant farmer, his honor has in all the land. And what poor farm folk put their stomach in, I own, admit, it is past my comprehension. Luff. Truth, Caesar, sometimes they are bothered enough. A cottage farmer digging in a ditch. With dirty stones building a stone wall. Clearing a quarry, and such like. Himself, a wife, he thus sustains. A litter of little ragged children. And nothing but his hand day's work to keep. Them right and tight in thatch and rope. And when they meet with sore disasters. Like loss of health or want of masters. 
You most would think, a little touch longer. And they must starve of cold and hunger. But how it comes, I never knew yet. They are mostly wonderfully contented. And stout lads and clever young woman are bred in such a way as this is. Caesar. But then to see how you are neglected, how huffed and cuffed, and disrespected. Lord man, our gentry care as little for diggers, ditch diggers, and such cattle. They go as saucy by poor people, as I would pass a stinking badger. I have noticed, on our laird's court day, and many a time my heart's been sad, poor tenant people, short of cash, how they must endure a factor's abuse. He will stamp and threaten, curse and swear he will apprehend them, seize their goods, while they must stand, with aspect humble, and hear it all, and fear and tremble. I see how folk live that have riches, but surely poor folk must be wretches. Luff. They are not so wretched as one would think. Though constantly on poverty's brink. They are so accustomed with the sight. The view of it gives them little fright. Then chance and fortune are so guided. They are always in less or more provided. And though fatigued with close employment. A snatch of rest is a sweet enjoyment. The dearest comfort of their lives. Their growing children and faithful wives. The chattering children are just their pride. That sweetens all their fireside. And sometimes twelvepenny worth of ale can make the bodies uncommonly happy. They lay aside their private cares to mind the church and state affairs. They will talk of patronage and priests with kindling fury in their breasts or tell what new taxation's coming and wonder at the folk in London. As bleak-faced All Saints' Day returns, they get the jovial, ranting harvest homes. When rural life of every station unite in common recreation, love glances with slaps and social mirth, forgets there is care upon the earth. That merry day the year begins. They bar the door on frosty winds. The ale steams with mantling froth and sheds a heart-inspiring steam. The smoking pipe and snuff box are handed round with right good will. The merry old folks conversing cheerfully. The young ones romping through the house. My heart has been so happy to see them that I for joy have barked with them. Still it is very true that you have said. Such game is now too often played. There is many a creditable stock of decent, honest, well-doing people are split out both root and branch. Some rascal's prideful greed to quench. Who thinks to knit himself the faster? In favor with some gentle master. Who may be busy parliamenting? For Britain's good his soul indenting. Caesar. In faith, lad, you little know about it, for Britain's good. Good faith, I doubt it, say rather, going as premiers lead him and saying yes or no as they bid him, at operas and plays parading, mortgaging, gambling, masquerading, or maybe, in a frolic daft, to Hague or Calais takes a waft, to make a tour and take a whirl, to learn bon ton, and see the world. There at Vienna or Versailles, he splits his father's old entails, or by Madrid he takes the road, to thrum guitars and fight with cattle, or down the Italian vista startles, whore hunting among groves of myrtles then drinks muddy German water, to make himself look fair and fatter, 
and purge the bitter venereal sores and cankers of cursed Venetian boars and shankers. For Britain's good. For her destruction. With dissipation, feud and faction. Luff. Heck man. Dear sirs. Is that the way? They waste so many a lovely estate. Are we so troubled and harassed? For wealth to go that way at last. Oh would they stay away from courts. And please themselves with country sports. It would for everyone be better. The laird, the tenant, and the cotter. For those frank, roistering, rambling young men. Not one of them is an ill-hearted fellow. Except for wasting of their timber. Or speaking lightly o' their mistress. Or shooting of a hare or more cock. The never a bit are they ill to poor folk. But will you tell me, Master Caesar? Sure great folk's life's a life of pleasure? No cold nor hunger ever can upset them. The very thought of it need not trouble them. Caesar. Lord, man, were you but sometimes where I am, the gentry, you would never envy them. It is true, they need not starve or sweat, through winter's cold, or summer's heat. They have no sore work to craze their bones, and fill old age with gripes and groans. But human people are such fools, for all their colleges and schools, that when no real ills perplex them, they make enough themselves to vex them, and always the less they have to fret them, in like proportion, less will hurt them. A county fellow at the plough, his acres tilled, he's right enough, a county girl at her wheel, spinning, her dozens done, she is uncommonly well, satisfied, but gentlemen, and ladies are worst, with even positive one of work are cursed, they loiter, lounging, lank and lazy, though devil have it, nothing, ails them, yet oon their days insipid, dull and tasteless, their nights unquiet, long and restless. And even their sports, their balls and races, their galloping through public places, there is such parade, such pomp and art, the joy can hardly reach the heart. The men cast out in party matches, then make up all in deep debauches. One night they are mad with drink and whoring, next day their life is past enduring. The ladies arm in arm in clusters, as great and gracious all as sisters, but hear their absent thoughts of each other. They are all run devils and old woman together, sometimes, over the little cup and plate, they sip the scandal potion pretty, or live long nights, with crabby looks, pour over the devil's pictured books, bet on a chance a farmer's stockyard, and cheat like any unhanged blackguard. There are some exceptions, man and woman, but this is gentry's life in common. By this time, the sun was out of sight, and, darker twilight brought the night. The bum clock, a beetle, hummed with lazy drone. The cattle stood lowing in the lane. When up they got, and shook their ears, rejoiced they were not men, but dogs, and each took off his several way, resolved to meet some other day.